very warm welcome to the Mind Podcast, Mental Health in a New Direction. And I am joined here today by Gareth Fox. How's it going, Gareth? Not too bad. Um, just finished my cup of coffee, so I'm all ready to You're go. You're ready to go. Fantastic. Okay, Gareth, if we could just start by giving the listeners a bit of context about you and who you are and what you do. Um, I am... Um, I've been trying to refine this title, so I, I think I'm a performance coach. Um, I started out as a therapist and a hypnotherapist, and then through that, I've created um, a much more holistic thing, not working on one specific topic or one specific issue, but working on a, on a, on a, on a general thing in order to improve the daily performance of people. And I don't mean performance as in like a, a drama, I mean, everyone performs on a day-to-day -day basis. It's about your output and what you give out and what you take back in again. So that's that's the main focus of, of my work at the minute is um, helping people to improve their daily performance, whether that be at work, at home with the kids, in their relationships, family relationships, social relationships, things like that, their health and fitness, emotional life. So yeah, I think a performance coach is what I, what I settle on. Fantastic. And I will delve a wee bit deeper into that a little later in the podcast. But firstly, give me a bit of context around how you started out. Um, what what drove you towards the likes of the mindset co coach, the mental health therapist, the hypnotherapy? Talk me through that process and how it all came about. Uh, so I'll start from the very beginning. Um, well, not the very beginning, because that's a long time ago. Um, so <laughs> Like we were just saying before, before we come on here, um, I have a background in sport and through my background in sport is possibly where I felt the most difficulty mentally in my life, This the, the most difficult mental period in my life. So that's always been there and understanding that there was a moment that was difficult and that I didn't know how to deal with and that it brought around negative results. And then I closed that chapter and I went on ahead. So I went to... Manchester University to study English. So I left my Irish League career behind at 18. Um, and then from that, I went on to France to be a writer. So I was living in France. I lived in France for 10 years as a writer and an English teacher to pay the bills. And then I hit a, a period of difficulty with regards uh, writer's block and a really difficult period and because I was putting a lot of pressure on myself that writing was supposed to be paying my bills I was becoming really really distressed and really unhappy and I thought that was fueling that was supposed to fuel the creativity but it did the opposite you know it really didn't fuel any creativity it uh, put strain on relationships not only re love relationships but uh, friendship relationships and I was just generally unhappy Um, I thought for a while look, this is where I'm supposed to be. These are the feelings that I'm supposed to have. Where's the pen, paper? Here we go. Brilliant. It wasn't that at all. It was, uh, here's the pen, the paper. Nothing's happening for hours on end on a daily basis. I'm extremely unhappy. So a friend, it was an ex-girlfriend at the time who introduced me to the idea of coaching, uh, life coaching, but more specifically creative coaching. And I got in contact with a creative coach, a woman named um, Hoda Safia. And through working with her on um, trying to understand creativity, trying to understand myself, trying to understand ideas, 
I got sparked onto the idea of, um, first of all, she, she changed my reading because I was reading the classics and I was reading, like I'm a huge Samuel Beckett fan and James Joyce fan. It's part of the reason why I went to France. It was an Irish writer living in France. Well, that's Beckett and that's Joyce. So um, I was reading lots of complicated literature, trying to, I suppose, inspire myself to write better, but really disliking also what I was reading. And so Hoda, my, my, my coach, she, she just one day said to me, I think you should read this book. And um, we were doing it online. So obviously she didn't hand me a book and I had to go and put the effort in to go and get it. And sometimes we were given, we're given recommendations by people and because we can't get it there and then we then forget about it. But for some reason this stuck in my mind and I was quite unsure about whether or not I'd get the book because it was called Becoming Supernatural. So what do you, do I really want to look into this? But I ordered it and I got it. It's a book by Dr. Joe Dispenza. I started to read it and it clicked something. Maybe it was like a dormant um, fascination. Maybe that had already existed because I got into it so much so quickly that I don't believe that it came from nowhere. Maybe I was already sort of subconsciously uh, being aware of, of, of the possibilities of the human mind, but whatever it was, it, I really, really clicked with it and it really aligned with me. So I started to absolutely absorb everything in this book, in another one he did called uh, Break in the Habit of Being Yourself, in another one called You Are the Placebo. And then I started to read things like Bruce Lipton. I started to read things like Marissa Peer. And then I started to research, um, you can go onto YouTube and watch university lectures for free of uh, neuroscience, things like that. So I just really jumped into that, uh, that, that, that space of neuroscience and the brain and how neuroplasticity works, how to manipulate the brain in order to change your results, in order to change your beliefs. And I'm thinking, wow, what is this world? So I was waking up in the morning and being really inspired, no longer about writing books and writing poetry and writing plays, which still inspire me, but they were making me unhappy whereas this thing was making me happy i thought well if this is making me happy then this is where my energy and my attention should be spent so i started to research how i could work in this industry and i thought well maybe i could become a researcher and i could work within the, the world of neuroscience neuroplasticity and i could maybe go to to harvard or somewhere where they're doing some of the, the big experiments on athletes and then I thought, well, no, 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 no. I want to be an implementer of this. So I spent about a year trying to work out what was the best technique in order to be able to put this research into practice. You know, so I was um, learning to become a therapist. And then I, I, I thought, well, the research that I was doing was showing that hypnotherapy was possibly the most effective way to really enter the realm of the subconscious and to start to reprogram. So then I went on to head to, um, to train as a hypnotherapist and I, I qualified as a hypnotherapist. And then I've also trained as a, as a coach, as a life coach, because that's what got me on the journey. And I think life coaching for anyone listening out there, who's looking and thinking to themselves, like I want to do something, and I don't mean as a career. I mean as a 
I want to invest in uh, my own mental health and the own direction of my life. Life coaching is a really, really good thing to invest in. No matter who, like, take your time, find your right coach. But people understand how to get the most out of you in your life. That's what their job is. It's the same as you, if you go to a personal trainer, they understand how to get the most out of your body with regards uh, your fitness and your nutrition. And a life coach understands how to get the most out of you in your life. So I trained as that as well. So um, I am a trained therapist, hypnotherapist and coach. So that's how I got to where I am. And then I was talking a bit about the football in the beginning. That's kind of, I, I, I'm not going to say that I 100% I work in sport, but I do a lot with athletes because I now recognize what it was that I was suffering from as an athlete. So yes. I'm able to delve back in. Now, that's, that's, I don't want to be 100% a, a sports performance coach, although I do that. And in fact, by through doing that, I don't work on in sports. My technique is nothing to do with sport. It's to do with life in general. But uh, I do work with a lot of athletes, but I work with everyone in general. Yes. So tell me a little bit about then your your journalism within sport as well. Obviously, that's another branch that you have. Um, I believe it's the, the Gaelic life, is it, that you write for? I work, um, I write a column. Uh, this is something that I was talking about with someone last night, and I didn't wasn't able to work this one out. So if it's bi-weekly, is that every two weeks? Or is that bi-monthly? That's a very good question. I, <laughs> I thought bi-weekly was twice a week. And then I was like, so yeah, the bi-monthly column. And she was like, no, you mean bi-weekly? So no, 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 I do it every two weeks in a month. And she's like, well, no, that's bi What is it? So I didn't actually go and follow that up. Maybe the listeners are going, look, lads, it's actually just, and they know what it is. Uh, I, I know it as fortnightly. Fortnightly is every, every two weeks. <laughs> Fortnite is a great word. This doesn't like I I'm I speak French and I speak uh, decent German because I lived in Germany for a year and um, the, the, that word doesn't exist. So you've all these little French kids going, "Oh yeah, I play uh, Fortnite." It's like, Do you know what Fortnite means? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's a game. Uh, you know, uh, you fight. It's like, no, no, no. It means uh, fourteen days. What? So like, yeah, yeah, it means fourteen days. That's what you're playing. You're playing fourteen days. So next time you say to your friend, "Here, do you want to play fourteen days?" I know. But, uh, so oh, i've gone off a little tangent there um so sure. yeah. the, the column um you were just touching on life the gaelic life so um i grew up playing soccer for dungenin dungen united youth and then i played gaelic for my local um club my local village Mahri. and um i really enjoyed soccer that I call football and uh, dislike Gaelic. I don't know why, well, I do know why I dislike Gaelic, but when I was growing up, I didn't understand why I disliked it as much. And I disliked it because, now this is something that I want to correlate back into um, self-development because I know you work in the world of soccer and I work a lot less in soccer than I do in Gaelic, even though when I was active, I had a lot more energy in soccer than I did in Gaelic. Now, Gaelic players invest a lot more in their performance than, than, than soccer. Now, maybe that's just me, and maybe that's because I 
write a column for a Gaelic newspaper, which means that I have Gaelic readers. But I know my my Instagram page, let's say of all the athletes, 80% of them are Gaelic. Then I have some other sports, no soccer. So whether or not that's just that no one's looking at me or whether or not that's because no one in, in the soccer world is really putting a lot of um, investment into improving their mental health and their, their performance. But I also think that's because, and it's because of this thing that I do with the Gaelic life is um, soccer players are kind of mercenaries. You know, they go where the money is or they go where this and that is, but their performance is not as linked into their social status as a Gaelic player because he only plays for his village or his town. So therefore he is so related to that area that it's almost vital for him to play well in order to be seen as being a good person. Or yeah. uh, so, but whereas, whereas a soccer player, I know lads from, from my village who were playing for teams in Belfast, you know, and no, not that no one was caring about them, but like it didn't mean anything for them to have a bad game in Belfast, didn't mean anything about them living in the village, you know, yeah. whereas for them to have a bad game in Gaelic meant everything because they were meeting people the next day who had been calling them absolutely crap from the sidelines the day before. So it was really implementing on their mental health, you know, this, this idea of social status. So this is what was annoying me when I was growing up was um, having a poor game in Gaelic, but then that really filtering into my everyday life. Yes. Locker, I could go, I lived in Mahai and I could go to Dungannon and then we might be playing a game in Lurgan and no one in my village would have the foggiest of how I played. And then I could just drift back in again and just pick up my life and live that life. But in Gaelic, it was completely different. It was a viewed a bad game, everyone knew. So this is kind of my direction with regards to the column that I do within the Gaelic life is to try and make that separation or try to, to I, I, I kind of write an alternative column and I've got some very positive feedback and then some less positive feedback where people go, no, it's not like that at all. And that's okay. This is just my opinion on it. But um, I, I, I kind of want people to separate the person from the performance. So I, d I don't want that performance of a poor performance on a Sunday in Gaelic to filter back into how someone treats you on a Monday. Yeah. So that's, that's the idea of my column. And it's also for players to focus on other things but sport to make themselves better. And again, the program that I do is all about this, to make themselves a better son, to make themselves a better brother or sister or daughter or husband or wife or partner. And that will in turn improve their performance. Because if you, this is this is to do with um, performance, uh, what's the name? Uh, da, 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 I can't remember the name. Uh, your association and your performance identity, that's it. So uh, if you put too much identity within who you are in the world of sport, then that's where performance anxiety comes from. Yes. But if you can enhance who you are outside of sport, then sport takes on a much less important role, which means that you clear the way to go out and perform. It's like a, it's like a negative sort of loop. It's like the more importance you give the thing, then the more pressure that you put on yourself, then the less you're going to perform. Yeah. The less importance that you put on it. So this, this, this game that I'm going out to play today doesn't define who I am. 
within my society, within my friendship circle, because I'm already good, then you're free to go out and just perform. Yeah. Just to touch on a couple of things there, Gareth, I used to work for uh, an online clothing company called Portstreet Clothing Company. Um, now, 80% of our staff members all played for a local Gaelic team called Owen Rowe. Um, you've probably heard of Owen Rowe. Um, I'm from Port Stewart here, so um, I can completely relate with a lot of things you were saying. I, I was never invested or um, was, was never really interested in Gaelic just because... Um, of my background, I, like uh, my mum was from Dublin, my dad was from Rathcoe in Belfast. So I was sort of, as I was classified in school, I was a half a Jaffa. Um, <laughs> not that I, I keep that term uh, through throughout my life, but that's what I was classified in school. So anyway, I, I never really fit into that role of playing for a Gaelic club. Um, it was always soccer for me. Um, but I still have a lot of friends within those communities. Um, and in particular, a lot of friends from that experience I had working for the online clothing company. But just some of the things that you were saying, I'll give you, I'll give you some context. Uh, so basically, they would go away to play in competitions or, or the league or sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with the, the setup, the process of they, they play in a local league and then it moves into a all counties league and, and then there's a cup final. So anyway, uh, excuse my ignorance to anyone listening and tuning in, but they would sort of fill me in on the information and, and fill the gaps. But um, a couple of the lads were, were so heavily invested in it. Their lives revolved around getting to the training sessions and what they were eating. And, and you could see that in work because what they were bringing into work to eat and, and sort of what they'd been advised and that they were always on checking their phones to see what the fixtures were. So this was, this was a massive, massive part of their lives. And then when it got to the really sort of testing parts of it, where they were in the quarterfinals and semifinals, you could tell their attitude completely changed. That's all they could think about in work was, you know, their performance during the, the, the quarterfinal, the semifinal to get themselves to this final, which was basically a matter of life and death. And that's the way I seen standing from the outside. Um, and then there was a couple of years where they had got so far, but had got put out by a team um, and so much had been riding on them that uh our, the guy who owns Portstreet Clothing Company is also the chairman of Owen Row Football Club. So it was one of these things where if they lost the match, I could, I would know that the following day we would have skeleton staff because they would all be off work because mentally they were all still coping with this challenge that they had lost and what other people were thinking of them. And the community as a whole were all in this sort of deep-seated depression almost. Um, and I find that really strange coming from a, a soccer background where, yes, you got frustrated. Yes, you would lose a match. Yes, you had a bad performance, but you would have a couple of pints in the bar afterwards and it would almost be forgotten about. Do you know what I mean? Or the day after, you wouldn't even think about how that match went. It's just, it's, it's a different setup. Do you know what I mean? And like you were saying, I went the way to Queens and, and no one knew what my performance was like on a football pitch. So it didn't really matter. I just like we got beat so what let's move on but it, it is a completely different thing and and i just sort sort of thought i would share that because i have been involved with the likes of there's 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 absolutely nothing wrong and i'm not saying that you shouldn't go out and try to 
to win things, try to improve your performance and be really sort of focused on that objective of whatever it is that you want to do in sport. But there are just, there are more intelligent ways of doing it. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm trying to say is like, I don't want to ever say to someone, oh, you shouldn't focus on this and that. It's like there are intelligent ways of doing it and there are ways that of doing it that are actually taken away from performance. Like even, even I, I'm reading lots at the minute because um, I'm reading lots of, at the minute about performance. Well, that's because I, that's what I work in, but also it's what fascinates me. And uh, a huge part of performance is the growth equation. So your stress plus rest equals growth. And so I've been reading loads about rest and there's, they've been doing lots of really good scientific experiments um, on uh, measuring of, of stress chemicals and growth chemicals within the body after performance. So what you want is you want your stress chemicals to leave your body as quick as possible, right? So it's like, it's like when you go to the gym, look at growth. Um, you go to the gym and you do a bicep workout. Now you're doing your bicep workout, bicep workout, and you're, you're tearing that muscle. But as long as you continue doing it and continue putting stress on, then you can't go into that anabolic state where you go and you repair the muscle and you strengthen the muscle because you haven't allowed the body to go into that rest mode where it can kick in that sort of uh, repair action. Now, if we played a game of whatever sport today, right, and we both went home separately, individually, the stress chemicals in our body would stay in our body much longer than if we went with the rest of the team into the local club and sat down and talked about the performance, but in a group way, the stress chemicals leave the body a lot quicker. Now, in this book, they didn't relate it back to anything, but because I do other work and a lot to do with the subconscious, I completely understand where this comes from. It's um, tribal security is the thing that, that, that releases stress. So if you can, as a coach, get your lads, get your players, get your, your girls, I keep saying lads, but I mean globally, um, back into, let's say the change room or somewhere else and take a bit of time to go over the performance, but as a group, that will actually release the stress chemicals an awful lot quicker because you're in a group environment, which means that the individual player, because they've just come from a stressful environment and their mind doesn't understand what a game of football is, their mind thinks, oh, there's a tiger outside, or there's a lion outside, yes. stress hormones. So what's actually happening is once you go back into the group environment, then you've got your, your mind picks up other lots of eyes looking around. So I'm safe. Yes. Oh, you don't need to think about such and such anymore because I'm safe. If I was by myself and I still have those stress, oh, I become hypervigilant and I'm still looking around. You mightn't be literally looking around when you get home, but your mind still is. It still thinks that stress is in your environment. But the more eyes that you can have around you, the more it can switch off. And once it starts to switch off, then you go into that repair state. And that's where growth happens. So it's actually really important for coaches. Any coaches out there listening, after good performance or a bad performance, analyze it with the group. Because what will happen is that we'll decrease the stress within the body and then you'll flush the body with repair, with repair chemicals and the players will learn faster mentally, but any muscle strains or any muscle tears during the game, they'll repair better. Yeah.
So that's that's it comes from that idea of being in the tribe and having lots of eyes looking out for you. That's really interesting. You know, I definitely didn't think of it like that, but uh, it all makes sense now that you've put it in context. But um, I just wanted to pick your brains about a few things. Obviously, I'm I'm involved with Ulster University Soccer Club. Um, this year in particular has been a really testing year. I think we managed to get out to about three training sessions before, uh, like we had to develop this 25-page uh, COVID um, document that we were in compliance with the IFA, the Irish Football Association, all these things. So there was a lot of work put in to get us to be able to get out and train. Um, and unfortunately, due to things that were completely out of our control, we got to a couple of sessions and that was it. So I feel as though because we would have a, a group chat, a WhatsApp group chat, I think the lads are really deflated because most of them used football as a mechanism, number one, to socialize at uni, especially those who have just came on their journeys in first year. And they they've been stripped of that opportunity to meet new people, make new friends in that, that setting. Um, but also physical fitness. So lads who have came to football because they're maybe they find it quite daunting going to the gym or they have an interest in football, so they know that they'll get some sort of exercise uh, um, from doing so. So I think this year in particular has been a really testing year for those lads involved, especially in our club, but all the clubs at the university, um, where they haven't been able to do that. And I would say that definitely their, their, their sort of mental health has been impacted through that process. Can you share anything with me in regards to coping mechanisms for th those situations because this is all new to us to every every one of us but to, to any of the lads that would be listening in so let's let's talk about um that sentence that you hear an awful lot especially within sport control the controllables right so look at your situation you can't go out to play you you're not allowed to physically go out and be in a group and play. So that's not within what you can control. So therefore put that to one side, that should be put to one side completely. I'd even take a pen and a piece of paper and write it down that it goes to one side. And then you ask yourself, well, what can I control today? That's a really important question that people should be asking themselves on a daily basis. What can I control? Well, people can control um, certain elements of their health and fitness not necessarily going to the gym, but they can. I, you're in the north at the minute, I'm in the south. We're allowed five kilometers. I think you're allowed 10 miles, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Movement within that 10 miles, because movement is is a big factor with regards to your, your mental health in improving your mental health. You can also control your nutrition, right? So that those are, those are two elements, right? But then behind that, and this will impact your sporting performance when you're allowed to come back again. But we can also improve our emotional well-being. People sort of sit in on the sidelines and think, oh, I'm, I can feel a dip and, you know, maybe my, my emotional well-being is being hit right now. But you can control that. Mm -hmm. That's something you can, because if you go to a PT and you say to a PT, I want to... Um, improve my, my, my physical shape, my strength. The PT would give you things to repeat on a daily basis, movements to repeat on a daily basis. Mental health is the same thing. It's that there are 
the equivalent of movements to do on a daily basis that will improve your mental health. Um, just, just, just as a little side note, and I'm going to maybe write that down because sometimes I slip up with my memory and then I forget. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a golfing blogger who I love watching, a guy on YouTube called Rick Shields. And at the minute he's doing this, um, he's walking the, the, the length of a golf course every day for the next 28 days to raise money for mental health. And he said something on his on his post the other day that I picked up on, and a lot of people have been talking about this. Um, he, he, the way he described mental health, and I had it in my mind actually to talk about it here. Uh, it's 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 a wrong definition of of mental health. When people say mental health, they immediately think, "Oh, that's the bad thing." Mental health is just the term for the good and the bad. Yeah, people have to say it like that. They can't just go oh, his mental health, um, whatever, and immediately imply the negative. And that's what does a lot of damage. People hear mental health and they immediately think, oh, that's the bad thing. No, mental health is the same as physical health. It can be improved or it can deteriorate. And you need to see it as something that can be improved. So when we're saying about what can people do at the minute, well, you can't play a sport, but you can go for a run or a walk. I'm a big walker, not so much a big runner, but that, that, that really helps me. So I walk. Uh, your nutrition, your emotional well-being, you can improve it. There are things that you can do on a daily basis. It's like if you want to, like I said, if you want to improve your leg strength, you, you squat or you do whatever that might be. Well, if you want to improve your emotional, if emotional well-being, you journal, you write out affirmations and you repeat those and you meditate. And people go, oh God, he's talking about affirmations again or he's talking about meditation those are your 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 bicep curls yeah for improving your bicep muscle they are those things there's it's not wishy-washy oh that's what he's saying that's going no no those are your go-to actions if you want to improve something you need to know what improves it those things improve it so do those if you don't know how to do them contact someone who you think might yes and someone will give you advice so someone came to me and said look I've been thinking about meditation, but I don't know how to get into it. Well, then I just give you a step-by-step -step guide as to how to begin meditating, which is look, set aside an alarm that uh, let's go for a minute. Start with a minute. There's no point in lifting a 30 kilogram uh, weight for your bicep if you can only lift four, you know? Yeah. So start with a minute, set your alarm so it's going to go off in a minute and you don't have to think about how much time has passed. And just concentrating on concentrating on breathing in, breathing out. That's all you have to do. Now it's difficult in the beginning because thoughts will come in, but that's not a bad thing. What I do is I actually write those thoughts down afterwards because they're going to be the thoughts that are causing me to feel something during the day. But now I know what they are, and now I can take action on them. Yes, it, it might say uh, need to send uh, an email to an ex-girlfriend, which would have been causing me anxiety during the day. Because that thought would have been going on in the background. I call it my white noise. Yes. Your thoughts are your white noise, but you have to actually, this technique with my clients. So like I said, I, I do a program. I do like a self-actualization program, a three-month program. And this is the first technique I teach my clients is thought catchers. Because people come to me going, look, I feel really anxious during the day and I don't know what it is. Well, anything you're feeling is created by what you're thinking but you're not aware of 90% of your thoughts, 95% of your thoughts. So there's 95% of your thoughts are creating feelings that you can't pinpoint why I'm having that feeling. 
So here's your activity of catching the thought. Sit down, breathe in, breathe out. Your mind will wander, but don't go, oh, I'm not doing this right. Go, ah, okay, that's what I was going to be thinking today. I was going to be thinking about that email that I needed to send without consciously thinking it. My subconscious was going to be thinking it. And that's what was going to be creating this feeling of anxiety. So therefore, write it down. And then when you finished, or let's say you, you put together a specific time when you go back to the page where you have everything written down, and then you look at things and you go, what can I take action on today? I can take action on that email. Okay, I'm going to write that email. That email is done. That thought's no longer there. And the and anxiety that that was creating dissipates. Yeah. So that's one step that you can do. Meditating will, will, will help you with how you feel because it, it helps you understand what you're thinking. Your thoughts create your feelings. Your feelings don't come from anywhere else. Don't, don't have this idea that other people are making you feel stuff. They're not. Other people are putting, other people are creating an option to have a thought, but you're choosing to have it. Like if you said something to me today, let's say you said something negative and I felt bad. If I go, yeah, Darren was making me feel like blah, blah, blah. That's not true. It's actually, I was choosing to allow Darren to make me feel something, but yeah. I'm not going to choose that. I control what I think. Therefore, I control what I, what I feel. Yes. So if someone with regards, let's say in your WhatsApp group is like, look, I'm, I'm finding it tough. Understand what you're thinking first and foremost, because that's what's creating what you're feeling. Yeah, so that's that's if anyone came to me today and said, hey, give me a go to list of three things. Well, here's your go to list of three things. Meditate. Don't put pressure on yourself of what meditation means. Simply sit down and for one minute, go breathe in, breathe out. And after about 30 seconds, you'll be away somewhere and you'll drift. But that's OK, because that adds to point number two, which is understand what you're thinking. And once you understand what you're thinking, write it down. Because then you'll go, oh, that's why I've been feeling really iffy for the last couple of days. Because I'm thinking that, and that's an iffy thought, you know, that that get in contact with my boss and send that email, that email that I've been putting off. Well, that's been creating a feeling within you. Yeah. And act on that. And the third thing that I would tell people to do is, I love this one, actually. And we were talking about it earlier as well, when you were talking about my plan or my program for the week. The thing that makes me feel the most me are my ideas. They are me. My thoughts, lots of people can have those thoughts. My ideas, only I can have those ideas. They are my creativity. doesn't matter what your idea is. Some people put pressure on themselves to have amazing ideas. It might just be something very small, like, oh, I'm going to buy my girlfriend some flowers today. Yeah. That's an amazing idea that you had that's going to create a certain ambience or atmosphere or energy. But if you don't control your thoughts first and foremost, and you don't get them in, in, in place, then you've left no space for your own ideas, which is who you are. So like you, you imagine you've got like thousands, you have 60,000 thoughts per day. You have thousands of these things just buzzing around, creating feelings within you. But once you get them in check by doing the meditating and then write, writing out the thoughts that you have, then you create a little bit of space and you take away the smoke screen for who you actually truly are, which is your ideas on a daily basis. So I have an idea book and I write my ideas in that book. And then you were saying about my, uh, my program, I put in a half an hour slot every day for my ideas because that's me. My ideas are me. 
So therefore, I'm just going, okay, those are the ideas that I had today. I can concentrate on that one, give that energy. No, that one's not going to lead anywhere. And if you're working on your ideas, like I know you're you're involved in in, in a few things. So you've already put energy into some of your ideas. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel amazing about who you are. This is who I am. This is what I can create. So give energy to your ideas, but you need to find them first, first and foremost. So you need to, to clear that clutter of, of what you're thinking. Yeah. Now, I have certain techniques that I use for my own ideas. They come to me when I'm out walking. That's my creativity time. A lot of people, there's certain go-to places. Shower, that's a go-to place for ideas. Walking, that's another go-to place for ideas. Because what happens is you, you switch on just enough cognitive function to be able to carry out the activity, but just enough, which means that you've a lot more space for other things to come in and your ideas come in. Um, is it is it through said that for some reason, as soon as my legs start moving, my ideas start flowing. He was talking about uh, walking being good for him. And so that's what I do. And I bring my phone. I've got a voice recording app and bang, I'm out and I'm walking in the forest or whatever. There's my idea, blah, 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 blah. And then when it comes to my ideas time, listen to the voice recordings, write them down and go, okay, that one can take energy. That one's not going to go anywhere. Now, maybe I mightn't get out for the next couple of days for walking. Like it's snowing out here at the minute. Uh, but I've already got an idea down and I've got an idea space in my everyday um, plan. Yeah. So it's work. Like at the minute, I'm working on a project f- with a friend from an idea that I had at the beginning of January when I was uh, really homing in on like pigeonholing my thoughts and creating that space. And now I work on it every day, every morning. I have my one hour for that idea. Now I still have my other idea time for other things that might come in behind it. But now I'm off on a project that's going to be like fairly substantial for the rest of my life. It's a new big project. And I wouldn't have got that idea if I hadn't made space for it. Yeah. So with anyone who might be struggling at the minute, first of all, get your meditation in place. Go on to YouTube, type in beginner's meditation. You don't have to start anywhere big. Start small and make it a, a daily practice. Then make writing down your thoughts a daily practice because once you get them out in paper, you, you get to see, oh, that's what I've been thinking. That's why I feel like anyone that suffers from anxiety, anxiety is this fear of an unknown thing, right? You don't know why you've got this, this, this pressure on your chest. So it's a fear of an unknown thing, but you're the one who's having the thought that's creating that anxiety. It's not anyone else that's creating your anxiety. So the more you get in touch with your thoughts, the more you can put your finger on that thing that's causing you anxiety. And then from that, you can look at it and go, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't need yeah. to be doing that at all. And you clear that feeling of anxiety. That's where, you know, performance anxiety, money anxieties, things like that. When you sit down with your thoughts, a lot more things become clear. And that will start the process of improving mental health. Yeah, no brilliant, brilliant, Gareth. No, I there was just a few takeaways that uh, I had, and I just wanted to discuss with you. But I think that's really valuable information, especially to any of those lads that are listening in, um, or anyone in general that's listening in, um, just to try and make some improvements during these difficult times. And um, the first thing I wanted to sort of touch on was the the 
the three sort of recommendations. Um, I've been speaking to a few people now on, on the podcast and they, they almost coin it as the mental health pillbox. So it's like the likes of meditation, the likes of the journaling. Um, I find for me personally, I, I started journaling just in around Christmas time this year where I, I sort of went, I really want to start this. I've been putting it off for too long, but I'm starting to journaling because um, I know it's going to help me and benefit me. And it has, it really, really has. It's impacted my life now so much so that I just can't get enough of it. Um, and like you're saying, writing down your ideas, I'm quite a creative person. Um, and loads of my ideas were getting wasted because I, I wasn't controlling them. So I was having loads of ideas, but they were just going nowhere. And I was getting frustrated that I couldn't contain these ideas. Whereas just from writing them down, going, yeah, that, that looking back on it now, that idea isn't a good one, but at least I came up with it and I can score that one out and bring the, the ideas that do have importance to, to life almost, but not all ideas have importance because when you were speaking there, I was thinking about Inspire Digital, which is one of my projects at the minute. It was two years ago I had that idea. And two years ago, it's been parked. But now it's coming to life because I see opportunity for it now. And that was just an idea that I had. I was thinking I was involved as a business mentor with Young Enterprise NI through my other business, Emerge Event Solutions. So something completely different in contrast. But I seen an opportunity there where I was like, something I'm really interested in exploring and now it's it's came to life but uh, ideas can come at you in the strangest of moments and you're going that's that's not a great idea but if you park it it could be valuable in the next couple of years yeah like there's there's something just to pick up on 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 something that you said or something that you alluded to, to there was uh the frustration that you were getting from not being intentional and deliberate about your ideas mm -hmm. was in negative self-talk because you even said I was feeling frustrated and I was so I imagine that comes out as oh you're a bit rubbish with this or whatever that impacts on your negatively on your mental health yeah. so even the idea of just being intentional about something shuts out that negative dialogue yes so that's it's a knock-on effect of um of being intentional even if your ideas might be rubbish but you've taken the time to give them the, the shed light on them and to look at them, which means that you've removed that opportunity of saying, darn, this is happening again. Loads of ideas. They're not going anywhere and you're not even in blah, blah, blah. And that's the self-talk that puts you, your, your, that hinders your, your mental health. So it's all, everything is related. Look, I can't um, stress this enough and express this enough and that's even the name of the program that I ended up creating and some people came back to me going oh it's a bit it's a bit firm that name of the program that you created so my program is called Backbone and people go oh is that a bit passive aggressive and you know are you saying that people are weak and I said no 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 I want you to see it as everything in your life is linked to a, like, a, like a spine yes vertebrae or who you are the top vertebrae could be your health and fitness. The next is your emotional life. The next is your character. The next is your social relationships, your love relationship, your career, your finance. If one of those vertebrae is out of place, the rest of the support suffers. They are, everything in your life is intrinsically linked. And this is what I do with regards to sport performance. Anyone who's, who's an athlete comes to me and said, look, I want to improve my performance. I don't touch sport. I will eventually, but I'll go, hey, have you got all these things in place? How are you with your girlfriend? 
oh, it's a bit tight at the minute, you know, when I'm a bit stressed about it. Yeah, so you're taking that stress from your love relationship into your, your sport. Because you don't have two different bodies. You have only one body that carries the same stress chemicals from one realm into the next realm. So therefore, you go into training then after having an argument with your girlfriend. So you've got cortisol and, and, and the stress hormones in your body. So your muscles are tight. You risk injury. Injury comes and people go, oh, I can't believe I'm getting injured. But then you've got a horrible relationship with your boss. That's why you're getting injured. And yeah. they don't link the two, but they've, they've fueled their body with a stress hormone, which tightens muscles, which weakens your, like your, a lot of SEL injuries. I can nearly tell you now that they're coming from other places than sport. It's, it's all related. So that's why I call this thing backbone. It's like everything is related. So not just for, for sport, any any athlete out there but anyone who comes to me looking to make an improvement or looking to change or looking to improve their mental health we look at everything everything is related you can't just focus on and this is what i did in the end of my career i would focus on one uh your nutrition your eating habits your your overeating and i would go okay we're just going to focus on that and then i find that no these people need to also focus on their relationship with their husband or their wife and they also need to improve their career and they need to improve how they see themselves financially and they need to improve how they see themselves with regards to their friends because it's all linked. If one of those is out of place, the rest suffer. So you have to really improve all those areas. You're joining me for the Mind Podcast, Mental Health in a New Direction. And we've actually split this episode into two because of the links that both me and Gareth spoke so please stay tuned and you can listen to the second part of this episode directly above.